Father uh, Spirit, come, we pray that you would come and help us understand your word, which is powerful and transforming. We pray that you would um, communicate it deeply to our hearts this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, over the course of Jesus' ministry, Jesus has said some remarkable things, um, some incredible things. I'm hearing a little bit of, is there feedback or, no? Okay, sounds good. Okay, just wanted to check. Um, So over the course of his ministry, Jesus has said some remarkable things. In John's gospel alone, John chapter 7, verse 37, just to set up real quick, it's the Feast of Booths. That's the last day of the Feast of Booths. And on the last day of the Feast of Booths, the people would be uh, walking pails of water up to the temple to pour them out at, at, the, at the foot of the temple, at the base of the temple, in anticipation of Ezekiel's prophecy. The prophet Ezekiel envisioned a day when a trickle would spring forth from the temple that would become a stream, that would become a creek, that would become a river that would fill the earth and bring life to the whole world. It would turn the Dead Sea, a sea that has no life, it's dead, that's why it's called the Dead Sea, it would bring it to life, teeming with life. So they're, they're, they're visually longing for that, and as they're doing it, taking these water buckets up to the temple, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, those who believe in me, they form a temple, and out of their hearts comes living water. That as we're, as we're filled with Jesus, we, become to, we begin to flow with Jesus. His life flows out from us. And then, just last week, John chapter, John, uh, the earlier part of chapter 14, Jesus tells the disciples, you will do greater things than me. Now, the big question is, how can we, Christ's followers, do greater things than Christ? Now, he's speaking directly to the apostles, but the, the point applies to us as well. How can streams of living water, how can life flow forth from us that we ourselves are fountains of life to the world? How can that be? And Jesus is going to answer how it can be this morning. It is, it is, it is the advent of another, of a helper who's coming into the world. Chris kicked us off and explained a bit about the, this advent. The, the word literally means coming. And Jesus in our verse, our passage today, speaks of another who will come and help and equip the disciples to do these things, these soaring promises that he's given. Now we get, we understand the means, how it's going to happen. And it's just, we're going to introduce the Holy Spirit this morning as we consider this passage, I'm going to say three things about the Spirit, the Spirit's name, the presence of the Spirit, and the work of the Spirit. So name, presence, work. And then we're going to finally close with, how do we get the Holy Spirit? Because that's a really important question. If it's the Spirit that makes all these things possible, we got to know how we can access that Spirit power. So that's the plan this morning. Let's jump right in. Uh, Verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, this name of the helper, the the Greek is paraclete. 
Um, and you'll notice there's a lot of different translations. So we have a translated helper. Um, other translations might be counselor, companion, comforter, advocate. The, 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 like I said, the Greek word is paraclete. Um, if you think of the prefix, the para, we, that's a word that shows up a lot in English, like a paralegal, a parachurch ministry. So, para is to, to come alongside. And, and kaleo, the verb, is to call forth. So like to call, a paraclete is literally, literally one who is called to help alongside, to come alongside, to help, to advocate. It's actually, in, in the Greek, it, it carries a lot of uh, courtroom uh, language of, of, of having an advocate, a witness, standing on the stand for the person on trial in support of. That's, that's the idea, an advocate. In fact, Tertullian, the church father, and St. Augustine liked that translation. The early church liked the translation, advocate. I'm sending forth an advocate to be with you forever. So, that's the name. Very brief, right? Advocate. Now, let's look at the second point, the presence, his presence. Look at verses 16 again and 17. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, advocate, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. John is saying, uh, or Jesus is saying that, that this Spirit, this advocate, this helper will dwell with you, and will dwell in you. I am leaving you. He's just told them. He's been with them for three years, right? Three years he's been with them. We said this last week, but it's important to bear in mind who it was that was with them. It wasn't just a good friend. It was God Almighty. Like if, if, If they lost their life, this friend of theirs, Jesus, could bring it back to life. If they went hungry, he could provide food. If they were in the midst of a bad storm, he could calm the storm. This is God Almighty with them. And he's saying he's leaving them. And they're naturally troubled by that. And now he's saying, I've been with you for three years. And I'm going to provide a helper, an advocate, who will be with you forever. Forever. Remember David, the King David in the Psalms, he, after his sin with Bathsheba, he prays in Psalm 51, Lord, let not your spirit depart from me, right? The kings of old were anointed by the Holy Spirit. They had the Spirit's presence in their life. Saul, remember what happened to Saul? The Spirit left Saul. And David sees this sin that he's done, and he's fearful that maybe the Spirit will depart from him. The Spirit didn't. But, but here's the point. Jesus says, my Spirit will be with you, disciples, and it will be with you forever. It will never leave you. My presence in the, for, in the Spirit will be with you. And he says this. Jesus says this in chapter 16. We'll get there, but I'm going to give you a little preview. He says to the disciples, It is to your advantage that I leave, so that I can send the Spirit to you. That my bodily presence among you, speaking to you right now, is trumped by the Spirit of God living inside of you forever. 
That is more powerful. That is more important for you at this time. It's to your advantage, is what he says. And we'll get to that later. But here's, here's what's happening. Jesus is saying that God the Father has sent me into the world. I dwell with the Father. And hey, it actually goes beyond the Spirit dwelling in us. Real quick, before we move forward there. Verse 23, look at verse 23. Jesus answered um, him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. Now, remember last week? Remember what Jesus said last week? It was a really encouraging word to us, that he is going to prepare a place for us on his father's estate. He says, in my father's estate, there are many homes, and I go to prepare a place for you there, and I will, take, I will bring you to your home on my father's estate, and I will present it to you so you can live there happily ever after is, what, is basically what Jesus says. But this week he's saying that we, that the father and the son will make their home in us. That as Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven, also, mysteriously, somehow, simultaneously, he will dwell in us. They're going to make their home in us. How in the world can we house God? There's a movie that came out, the King's Speech, about 12 or 15 years ago now, I think. But in that movie, there is the, the, the king who struck King George VI struggles with um, speech. He has a severe stutter. And now in the radio era, in television era, he, he's now forced to uh, speak on behalf of the people, but he can't speak. So he's going through all of these speech teachers, and finally he finds this humble Australian speech therapist who helps him, and they forge a friendship. And there's a scene in that movie that the Australian teacher's wife doesn't know his, one of his you know, clients that he's working with, doesn't know, and he shows up at their little humble abode. And there's the king of, of, of Britain and his wife, the queen, there in their house, and they're just kind of like, she's overwhelmed. Such a person in their home. And what Jesus is saying is, we are dwelling in you, in our little humble frame, God Almighty and Christ and the Spirit is dwelling in us. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, some of us don't like to have people over to host because we kind of worry about, well, I don't know if our home's nice enough or big enough or accommodating enough, all of those things. You're a host to God Almighty, right? It's incredible. And here, here's, here's, here's what I hope we understand here. And as Jesus makes this, goes through this upper room discourse with his disciples, we're finding that uh, language has difficulty containing the reality of, which is, of that which is being spoken. So what Jesus is saying is kind of, the words are kind of buckling under the weight of the reality that he's talking about, which goes beyond our, our ability to comprehend. But what he's saying is, my departure from you, disciple, which is about to happen in a matter of hours. I will be departing from you. It means a new presence and unique presence of the Holy Spirit. And it means a unique presence of me and the Father. So that's the presence. We got the name, advocate, 
helper, counselor, the presence, the spirit will dwell within us forever, never leaving us as David feared, but be with us forever, along with the Father and the Son. Now I want to consider the work of the spirit. Look at, look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to the apostles, his disciples, who will, who will write the words of God. This very teaching of Jesus is being written by one of the apostles, one of the disciples standing there listening to Jesus. And, and the Spirit did indeed bring to remembrance what Jesus is saying, and it's recorded here. Everything that we know about Jesus, we know by way of the Spirit's work, by way of this promise that Jesus gives, that he's going to bring to remembrance to the apostles what's taking place. And this is true for us, too. This is why, hopefully you've noticed this, but we constantly, every Sunday, and even in the middle of the week, and at Friday prayers, we're praying for the Spirit to come and to be in our midst and to communicate these truths to us, to bring to remembrance in our own lives in times of need, the Word of Christ, to communicate it. And that's what the Spirit does. Paul, in in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, in a prayer, he says that he prays that the church at Ephesus would have the spirit spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. He prays that the Spirit would reveal to, to us, to the believers at Ephesus and to us, God, make known to us who God is. And then in the next chapter, I think, which is kind of a continuation of the prayer, he gets a little sidetracked, and then he comes back around to this prayer, and he prays that we would be rooted in the love of Christ, that we would know its height, its depth, its breadth, its width, its length, which is beyond even knowing, that we would know that. Well, how do we know that? How do we know the heart of God? It's the Spirit of God that reveals these things to us, that makes these things known to us palpably. And Paul also says, look, the spirit, just like your spirit knows your interior, knows your heart, the spirit of God knows the heart of God and therefore can communicate the depths of God to our hearts. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he applies the work of Christ. He applies the love of God to our hearts. Listen to what Dane Ortland says, and he's paraphrasing Thomas Goodwin. He says, the Spirit makes the heart of Christ real to us, not just heard, but seen, not just seen, but felt, not just felt, but enjoyed. The Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus's heart and moves it from theory to reality, from doctrine to experience. So let me ask you, have you experienced the Spirit's work in your life? Have you experienced the Spirit making known the love of Christ to you? I think I've shared this story before, but following, after after Henry was born, um, Sarah and I, uh, Sarah became pregnant again, 
and we went to, um, something didn't seem to be right, and we had a regularly scheduled appointment to, uh, you know, to, to, to check on things, and so we went, and we, re- we learned that the baby w- did not have a heartbeat, and actually, while we were there, we, we delivered, Sarah delivered the baby, and it just so happened, and just kind of coincidentally, it, it came during that time that we were at the hospital, and in the very next room, you could hear it on the other side of the wall, there was a baby exploding into the world, crying, screaming, life exploded in the room next door. And here we were dealing with, with a difficulty in that moment, right? The disappointment of that moment, the, the heartache of that moment. But the thing that struck us, and we looked at each other and we're like, I can't, I only feel joy and celebration for what's happening in the room next door. How do you explain that? Both of us had that, we, we said that exact same thing. I feel joy and celebration. We, I believe the Spirit was giving us a peace that passes understanding. That doesn't make sense that you would be upset or that you would be celib- happy for what's happening next door. But that's what it was. That's the kind of work that the Spirit does in our lives. The Holy Spirit activates and energizes the love of Christ in our lives. It energizes the work of ministry. And by the way, this is, this is again how the disciples of Christ, the apostles, will do greater works than Christ. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit enabling them. Now, a really important question that I want us to close with is this. How do you get the Holy Spirit? It's a, re- it's, it's a really important question. How do you get the Holy Spirit in your life? And we're going we're gonna to settle in on this question for, for a bit here. Look, look at verses 15 and 16. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, you read that, and the discerning reader may be getting a little unsettled. Because what if, it, it seems as though... If you love me, you keep my commandments. But what if we don't keep his commandments? That must mean that I don't love him. And I must love the world. And what if I'm outside of his loving care? And what if all of this church stuff is just a charade? And I don't have the Holy Spirit. If I don't love Christ, if I don't keep his commandments, I don't love Christ. And if I don't love Christ, I don't get Christ's care and I don't have the Holy Spirit, and I'm just showing up, just kind of playing church. You see, you see the tension here. And look again at verse 21. He says kind of the same thing. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. See? Keep my commandments, therefore love. Therefore you must love me, and then the love of the Father you have. Does that mean that all of this is sort of preconditioned on our keeping the commandments of Christ? It's not the case. That's not the case. And we've got to see the context here to, to understand that. And remember, remember again, the context is encouragement amidst trouble. Because remember what Jesus has said. One of you will, will uh, betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and I'm about to leave you. 
And where I'm going, you cannot come. So they're, they're troubled. And what Jesus is doing in this upper room discourse for like these, all these chapters that we're, we've been looking at and we will continue to look at in the weeks ahead, he is encouraging them. And what he's saying right here is not encouraging at all if all of this is conditioned on our faithfulness to him. Because all of the disciples are going to not be loving him in just a matter of hours. In, in Christ's time of greatest need, they're all going to disappear. They're all going to be away from him, hiding, denying, betraying. That's what's going to happen. So let's, let's try to understand uh, what, what, is, what is being said here. Uh, maybe some commentators say that it's actually best, verse 15, to translate it. When you love me, you will keep my commandments, which kind of takes a bit of the edge off. But that's, that's, but that's not even, let's, that's, let's, let's focus here on the commandments. Jesus is saying, if, when you love me, you will keep my commandments. The emphasis, the emphasis is on what Jesus has just said. He's saying like the commandments, my commandments, what I've just said to you. These special commands that I have given you. Well, what are the special commands that Christ has commanded in this discourse so far? Well, if you back up just a little bit, it's praying for whatever in my name you get. You pray for things in my name. Before that, chapter 13, love as I have loved. And by the way, that love as I have loved is, is loved, love, love others out of the love that the Father has for you. And then you back it up just a little bit. Chapter 13, verse 8, the foot washing. Remember what Jesus says? You must, you must be washed by me. That's his command. You must be washed by me. He also gives this command. You must, chapter 14, verse 1, you must believe in me. So the, these are the commands that Christ has given in this discourse here. It reminds me of John Chapter 6, where the people ask Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And do you remember what Jesus says? This is the work of God. Believe in the one whom he sent. Right? Believe in me. And, but here's the thing. B- belief, it's, it's a work. It's, it's a non-work, really, isn't it? Belief is a non-work. That's how it works. You know, the trust fall. We've talked about it before. If you... If you've done one of these trust falls where you lean back and you fall back um, and you're trusting, are you working in that moment? No, you're, that's actually the point. You're not working. You're just flying through the air and you're trusting other people to do a work, to catch you at, as you land into their arms. The belief is shifting the work from yourself, who's now flying through the air, to the people on the ground that are holding you. That's what a trust fall is. Every week, we've these orders of worship. Crystal gets them here on Fridays. And every week, I show up. And they're here, reliably. I, I trust, I believe that Crystal will get these things here every week. And she does. And what does that mean for me? I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. I just show up. That's what belief means. It's, it's, it's letting go, and, and somebody else is doing the work. That's what belief in Christ is. Look at verse 21 again. And he who loves me, that is the one who has been washed, who keeps my commandments, right? 
who's been washed by me, cleansed of their sins, who believes in me, trusts my work, my obedience, my, my work on the cross. They will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him as resurrected Lord, which they're going to see in a matter of days, but also as the Spirit manifests, shows Christ to us. So the, the progression, how do you get the Holy Spirit? The progression is this. The one who keeps the commands of Christ, the one who keeps the works of Christ, which, by the way, they're non-works, right? Belief, being washed, it's a, those are passive things where you're allowing someone else to do the work. That's the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by the Father. And I will manifest myself to him. And my glory will be made known to him. The Spirit will manifest the glory of Christ to our hearts and to the hearts of all believers. His glory will be made known. Not manifest, because Judas asks, uh, Judas asks, well, what about, I thought the day of the Lord meant the glory of God would be shown across the globe. And Jesus says, not quite yet. The Spirit is going to manifest the glory to, his, to Christ's church, and then it will be broadcast for all to see, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But there's this interim period where it's the Spirit manifesting the work of Christ, the glory of Christ, to his church, to his people. Another, another way to think of it, one commentator puts it like this, Christ's leaving means a new kind of coming. When Christ says, I leave and you can't come with me, his leaving means that he's coming in a new and more powerful way because he's sending forth his spirit into our hearts to manifest the glory of Christ to us. That's, that's what's happening here. And look, look, at, look at verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live you also will leave, right? Christ is saying, look, I, I, I am leaving, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. Even though where I go, you cannot come, you know, the question they have in their minds is, was he abandoning us? Is Christ abandoning us? And the answer is a resounding no. He's not abandoning. He's actually binding himself to them. That's why he's leaving, because he's binding his fate to their fate, to our fate to your fate. He's, he is, his leaving is a binding of himself to your fate, God's holy and righteous judgment, so that you could get his fate of blessing by the Father, a well-done, good and faithful servant. You see, that's what the cross, that's, what, that's what's happening. He's leaving to, to, to die on a cross where he's taking our fate, our sin, Upon himself. And then he says in verse 20, In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me. It's like the little Russian doll. You know what I'm talking about? The little wooden thing. There's like stacking little family there. I am in the Father. I'm in my Father, you are in me. Oh, and get this though, flip it around. I'm in you somehow. 
And somehow he's still in the heaven preparing a place for us. There, there, there's this divine mystery. And like I said, language kind of breaks under the weight of the reality of which Jesus is speaking. It can't contain the little words, can't contain the, the truths that they're trying to contain. They're, they're breaking apart. And so Jesus is using all of these pictures to try to help explain it. But here's the bottom line. Jesus is saying, you will be folded into the eternal love of God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and you are getting folded into that, and you will be with me, the Father, the Spirit, forever. It's encouraging, isn't it? That's, that's the purpose of this upper room discourse, is to encourage the disciples. And so let, let me ask you the question. Have you seen the Holy Spirit work in your life? Do you have a sense that God and his presence is with you? Now, that's kind of a frightening question. I I know there's been times in my life where I would have said, I don't know. I don't don't know. I don't even know what that means exactly. If, If that's you, pray. Pray that Jesus just said, pray whatever in my name. Pray for it. Pray for God to give you a sense of his presence in your life by his spirit. He will. It may not happen in a year. It may not happen in a couple of years. But if you start paying attention, being silent before the Lord, you will, you will experience the spirit working in your life. Pray for the spirit to be known in your life. Pray as Paul prays to the church at Ephesus that they would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Pray that God would communicate himself to you by his spirit. You know, one of the commentators sort of explaining this kind of threw up their hands and said, I can't, me trying to explain exactly what Christ is saying in a commentary is, is just a, a fool's you know, errand. It's, it may, it's impossible for me to do because it has to be experienced. It has to be experienced by the community of faith together. And that's one of the reasons why we have community builders and we pray for one another and we have our prayer meetings. Over time and in these settings, we are seeing together the Spirit's work in one another's lives. That's how it manifests itself to us. So there it is. That's the advent of another who's coming to help. A helper, an advocate. The Holy Spirit. We're going to get more into the Spirit as we move along in this discourse. But that's, that's the beginning, the, the advent of this Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for your work in our lives. Um, we also confess a blindness that we often have to it. And we ask that you would help make known yourself to us as you promise. That your Spirit would make real this love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And that you would help us to walk in love, that out of the love that we've been shown in Christ, we too would be enabled and equipped to love others, to manifest your love and your glory to the world around us. We need your help for that, and we ask for it in Christ's name. Amen.